The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. Thanks so much for joining us on the Mothership Podcast. It's Steph here. Brooke and Noli have the night off, those lucky guys. Well, I am very excited and really eager to introduce our special guest tonight. You know, Carter Perry, he's a surfer who went to college here on Oahu. He's from Ohio. He moved here in 2015 to attend HPU. And long story short, he lost part of his leg and a lung to an infection, and then he got COVID. His life changed in a flash, and he's made a lot of progress since then. Welcome to the podcast, Carter. Thank you. Excellent delivery. I feel like yeah, you covered everything, and I think well, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going to say that is truly a very, very abbreviated version of everything that you went through and everything that you endured. And I want to, if we could just kind of rewind time for a moment and take us back um, to 2015 when you first moved here and you started surfing and you developed a love for it and, and just kind of share with us how that all started. Yeah, that definitely came out of the blue for me. Um, I wasn't much of a surfer back in Ohio, obviously, not too much. Uh, water accessibility other than the Great Lakes, which does actually get waves in the winter, but it's um, kind of sporadic and very cold. So uh, a little bit of surfing uh, with family being up in Massachusetts. Um, and that's kind of all the experience I had. I remember taking a survey online when I was um, getting ready to graduate from high school and during my senior year, trying to find like, oh, which college should you go to? And recommended OSU, uh, University of Vermont, places like that and I think University of Hawaii was on that list and as a mainlander and having no experience with Hawaii whatsoever beforehand I immediately thought oh wow there's colleges in Hawaii <laughs> you don't even really I don't think there was a city there I don't know anything about Honolulu as like being as it is I mean it's it's bigger than Cleveland that's for sure uh, so I ended up just taking a chance I didn't even really tour the school I just flew out here uh, figured if I hate it I'll leave in a year but I figured the vibe and the Aloha spirit might really exist and I might get along with that. And turns out it, it, it did. So I've been here for the past six years and loving every moment of it. So, I mean, just how did you even get into surfing though and get drawn to it here in Hawaii? I, I mean, you mentioned that it's definitely not the same in Massachusetts, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what did surfing do for you and your spirit? And uh, you know, how did it awaken that passion for surfing? Um, I, th I feel like I just, from my minor experiences out in the water uh, back growing up, I wanted to try surfing when I got here because I knew, I mean, this is the birthplace. So I, you know, took a nice 11 foot Tanaka board out to Wikes and paddled out with my dad like the first week of moving in and ended up falling in love. I mean, I would probably get out of the water three times a week my freshman year. 
and that kind of started the exponential growth of just getting into it and then became a daily thing. And uh, just being out in the water allows me to really disconnect my mind. And I mean, if you're out there giving respect, you never really run into any problems. Like with localism, I found uh, you just know your place and be respectful and everything's okay. So I've, I've loved surfing out here and progressing my abilities. Yeah, what, what was your favorite spot back in the day? Um, I really liked backyards, uh, right of sunset. Uh, my neighbor from my sophomore to senior year of college, I lived in Kailua and, or Enchanted Lakes area kind of. And my neighbor across the street was kind of an older guy, uh, just totally became one of my uncles and took me under his wing. He's lived here, he's all, grew up here, born here and just took me out. And I started learning how to surf like 10 foot faces out there. And he was really kind of like my guiding mentor, I guess, that gave me the confidence that I needed to be safe out there. But I never really got good at surfing the wave, but I could be out there safely, I suppose. That's kind of the extent of my ability. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So did you ever wipe out or anything like that? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. You kind of got to uh, go through that, right? <laughs> you need to. I mean, you got to learn. Yeah, Probably awesome. one of my worst, my worst wipeouts was when I was learning and I was just a complete kook uh, my freshman year. So only about six months under my belt. And I haven't really found that limit yet that you need to be like where surfing becomes like, oh, this is kind of dangerous if it gets too big. Uh, so I think it was like probably four foot Hawaiian uh, day out at Chun's, uh, left of Chun's, so Holton's Reef. And it was just constantly coming in. It was so big that I couldn't paddle back inside. Ended up getting wiped out onto some guy's house and he like pulls me off the reef and he's like, oh, you better not do that again. <laughs> so I learned my lesson, luckily early and no injuries. So oh, an important man. day. Right on. So you're, you're just living the life. I mean, living here in Hawaii, uh, graduated from HPU in 2019 um, with a degree in what now again? Management information systems. Wow. Wow. Yes. And then you landed a job at uh, Marine Corps Base Hawaii in Kaneohe doing what for them? Yeah, so I worked as a contractor for Avening Tech over there, uh, kind of doing basic IT mid-level positions, um, moving into kind of a cybersecurity route. Um, and it's, yeah, it was awesome. I was there for about four months until my life got turned upside down. Ah, okay. So when that happened, what were you, what do you mean by that? Like, you, is that when you started to experience those uh, flu-like symptoms? Yep. Uh, I went home for Christmas to visit my family back in Ohio. Uh, I suppose that I ended up picking up a strain of the flu, your basic influenza B, which is this person to person transfer. Um, and I started getting cold like symptoms probably on like the first uh, day of January, 2020. So really, you know, starting 2020 with a bang, I guess. Uh, and by day three, I started getting the flu symptoms where it's like more kind of like bedridden hallucination, muscle fatigue type stuff. Nothing I haven't been through before, but uh, just sick, not feeling great. I mean, I went to Costco the day before, uh, drove myself around, got things. So I wasn't non-functional. And the following day, which is now the fourth, I can barely even stand. Uh, so my brother gets me to our elevator. I was living in Kaneohe at the time. Uh, and we head down the elevator. He gets me in the car to drive me over to Castle. Um, I remember sitting in a wheelchair 
right outside of castle before he wheels me in kind of closing my eyes while I'm going in there. And the next thing I know, I wake up two weeks later at Queens with tons of tubes and pipes shoved into my body. So you just fell into a coma or? I believe it was medically induced. Um, maybe my memory is just fogged from like the check-in process. Uh, but I totally was, I was fading at that point. And um, I've flatlined, I believe twice uh, on the way maybe on the way or at Queens itself, once they finally got me transferred there. And they ended up having to put me on this thing called ECMO, uh, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Um, and that was vital to my survival because it effectively takes the stress away from my lungs. That doesn't have to work anymore. And instead pulls the blood out of my arterial vein in my neck, takes it into a machine that pulls out the CO2 and then Reoxygenates the blood, moves it to a machine that heats it back to my body temperature, and then back into my body in a closed circuit, just constantly making my lungs rest and doing that work for me. A lot of people are usually on ECMO if they get to that bad of a place for a week or two, and I ended up having to stay on it for 94 days. So wow. pretty, pretty drastic. Yeah. That, that's one of those machines that you don't find in every hospital, too, right? I mean, no, I mean, Queens yeah, Queens was vital to keeping me alive. Uh, I believe 2019 is when uh, Eric Edelman brought ECMO over to the Queens Hospital System for adults. It's been around for children since I think the 80s, but uh, you know it became, it's more risky when you work with adult patients. And um, he got trained up away from uh, the island, not sure where exactly, but uh, brought it back to Queens in 2018, 2019. So if I got the same exact thing, while I was in college, I, I would be dead for sure. No way I could make it to California in time. Carter, it just seems like, I mean, just talking with you and trying to do a timeline of this, it just seems like everything really changed so quickly to the point where you didn't see what was coming or you couldn't know. And, and the way that you yeah. described even feeling a little ill, it, it wasn't something that you thought would just be life altering. I mean, you can't expect that. I, I, I've never been really sick in my life. Uh, you know, part of the reason I could have gotten so sick is because I was very athletic at the time uh, and active with a healthy immune system. Uh, I actually just got back from a surf trip in Bali for two months while I was waiting for my secret clearance. Uh, so I was surfing nearly every day, uh, probably the best shape of my life when I got sick which inevitably maybe saved me, but also caused this issue because when the flu gets attacked by an incredibly strong immune system, it can cause a response that essentially ends up in sepsis where when it's the T cells are destroying uh, the germs in my lungs or wherever they are, it's damaging the organ in the process. So I went into ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome very quickly in my lungs had air like coming in from the outside and just, I couldn't breathe. Uh, so yeah, not a good combo of events. Can't expect it, but you know, you got to ride with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, how old were you when, when this all hit you? Uh, I guess I was 22. Yeah. 22 years old. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, so you have no idea how you may have contracted that illness. I mean, it's just like how you normally get the flu. Uh, 
but uh, I, I believe my dad's a pediatric surgeon, so he can kind of help me with understanding some of these medical things. Uh, I guess about 50 people kind of in my age group per state a year usually get the flu like this or something. And you just don't really hear about it because they almost always die. I mean, I was pegged for a 1% chance to live, let alone without any mental complications from not having any air going to my brain for so long. So all of this, um, you know, was happening to you. Um, you were not in a state where you could make decisions and your dad stepped in and he really kind of facilitated, you know, where you should go next. Is that right? Yes, certainly. No, he was core to my uh, well-being. Probably a lot of stress on him for having that medical background. So he knew the severity of what I was going through. Like if he knew if I woke up from this coma, like I, I it's going to be a long road back to, you know, any type of life that I had before. Um, uh, and I think the moment of relief for my whole family was when I finally came up I woke up and I saw my sister's face and I was confused because um, she lives in Ohio. So how she get here in a few minutes when in fact, it's been about two weeks, I guess. Um, and I see all the tubes around me and like the tubes going into my lungs and my, my neck and all the, my ventilator I have, uh, and I roll my eyes <laughs> like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> so, so they knew like my sense of humor, I suppose, still permeated through. So I had some mental capacity left. At least I can still make my jokes. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> And you need just somebody to do the didn't. <laughs> oh, true, true, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So this was you're you're still in Hawaii, um, and you were hooked up to that machine. Um, now, what what happened after after that? And I guess you had to be moved now to to Cleveland. Yep. Um, so I was in Queens for roughly two months. Um, but eventually I'm going to have to have all this section of my lung completely taken out of my body. Uh, and Queens, as great as they are, are probably not equipped for surgery that significant. So it was kind of between uh, Stanford, Stanford uh, Medical Hospital and the Cleveland Clinic, uh, which is, you know, a mere 4,000 miles away. So on ECMO with all these blood pipes and everything going around, I got medevaced all the way to Cleveland. Um, that was kind of nice for me because, you know, I've been in the ICU for two months. I haven't really seen daylight. So kind of being able to see that I was conscious for the flight. I could look out the window, couldn't move because we can't risk the lines rupturing. I mean, it was a little bit of a risky flight, um, just because if anything goes wrong while I'm in the air, I mean, that's kind of it. So I think I had like eight people taking care of me on the plane, um, perfusionist, which is somebody that's like monitoring all the ECMO stuff, uh, people helping me with my ventilator. So yeah, they uh, did a great job though. I made it safely, comfortably, and got to experience my fresh new bed in Cleveland Clinic for the next five months. Five months. Wow. Jeez. I mean, that's, that was, um, I mean, hearing about how they had to take out your, your lung and and then they were describing, I, I read an article where they had to put in like gauze soaked in uh, yes, strong antibiotic. <laughs> and I mean, wow, it's, 
it's um it's amazing it's amazing now that surgery was pretty crazy um it was a so a pneumonectomy is when they remove that whole portion of my lung and the way they wanted to go about it was using an old surgical technique from the days of tuberculosis so it's quite uncommon a lot of people have not seen this in a long time so basically they open a hole in my side near my rib cage they remove three ribs and create an open hole that just stays open because if you were to close the site it's super prone to infection it's just a warm closed dark hole i mean that's going to breed bad creatures and bugs so you end up keeping it open and exposed to air and every day they'd uh, wrap up gauze and stuff and soak it in the kind of like a chlorine solution or bleach solution and it just be in there to kind of like create a semi-sterile environment but obviously it wasn't that sterile because it's exposed to the air i mean eventually uh when i first got back in the water just to try it uh, i still had that giant hole and i went surfing with my dad and i ended up filling with water and basically turning into like a rock <laughs> probably a bad idea but i really wanted to get back in the water even though i could barely breathe i couldn't I can walk on my own. I don't even have really prosthetics yet. So paddled around in some flat one foot water, but yeah, that was a silly idea, but I'm okay. So. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. We were just, we were talking about wipeouts and you thought that that was bad, but this is like, wow. (laughs) 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 My dad said it was okay. So, you know, maybe that's the problem with having a surgeon for a father. He was like, should be fine you know just disinfect it when we get out oh my goodness um you know you you've got such a great sense of humor but you know all jokes aside uh when this was happening to you do you do you think about the seriousness of it all do you do you ever think about that do you did you ask a lot of questions how why Uh, I certainly wanted to, uh, but I couldn't talk for about four and a half months. So that made asking questions hard. And then my, all my fingertips had like black blackened because of, uh, I almost lost part of those too. Um, That's a complication that just comes from when they tried to save my life at Queens, they use products called vasopressors, which concentrates blood into your vital organs, but at the expense of taking it away from my hands and feet. And that's ultimately why I ended up getting amputated in the right leg, losing my toes and the bottom of my heel on my left foot and uh, a thumb on the right side. But it's mine and no one sees that one. So that doesn't count. All right. So you didn't even think about it, even in your head. Um, it crossed my mind, but I really was just focused on how am I going to get back to the water as soon as I realized that there's people with prosthetics that kind of surf, uh, I knew that there was an opportunity there. But little did I know, I wouldn't really realize this until I was starting my inpatient rehabilitation, that the one lung is far more of a disability over having a leg for me. It is, <laughs> I mean, that's my battle every day. I use a wheelchair 50% of the time because of oxygenation issues, not because I can't balance well. Um, so it's all just trying to strengthen this one lung and that's what I'm focused on now. But, you know, for the most part in the hospital, I was never too 
banged up about it. You know, I was alive. I had my family there to support me the whole time. And I knew I could have these clear goals to try to conquer this challenge that, you know, is thrown at me. And that, that gave me a bit of drive, I suppose. So as soon as I could start working on myself, I got to it. <laughs> Where did you learn to have that sense of drive? I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's easy for you to say those, you know, how you're speaking now and talking about like, you know, I, I can just put it aside. I can focus on this, but you know, some people out there might not have that ability. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, where did you, where do you find that? Where did you, where do you find that ability to just focus on what you feel is important? And, and where did you learn that? I suppose I really focus on in the moment type of thinking. Um, I kind of picked up a little bit of that in Bali uh, from some of the people I met where I just, I focused on what's going on in my day. Okay. Um, and yeah, I just, I guess I was kind of born with it. It's just been my personality growing up. Uh, I don't think take things very seriously. Um, and I just try to find the good parts of life and like what is the benefit from a situation that's disastrous, I suppose. I certainly didn't think I'd have the mental ability to get through what I went through beforehand, but I'm quite thankful that I did. So it's, you can't really tell, I guess, until you put through the ringer. So with that said, then have you ever experienced something as of this as bad, do you think, or, you know, before this, where you kind of had to learn how to get yourself back up? I mean, did, did you have an experience before this, do you think, to prepare you for this? Uh, I mean, compared to this, no, nothing has really been as I, I even comparable to what I've been through. So I, I guess I've been blessed with a pretty simple life, uh, nothing disastrous happening at least. And um, I don't really get stressed uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with being out in the water and, you know, I really increased my mental well-being um, once I moved here and found some of my passions and my independence from, you know, you know, just part of college and like growing up and everything. So um, I guess Hawaii trained me for this. Honestly, I don't know if I'd be the same person if I uh, went to like university of vermont or osu or some of these other schools i mean this this island definitely changed who i am so i guess that was my training <laughs> mm -hmm. what, what what's what did hawaii give you what did hawaii teach you what 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 did you learn from hawaii and the lifestyle definitely just like i said taking things day by day uh the aloha spirit definitely permeates through these islands i mean that's no myth um and like just being able to talk to like strangers or anything and i used to have a bit of social anxiety so like having that friendliness both ways just made for uh easier life i guess <laughs> it's kind of hard to articulate i suppose yeah yeah okay 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 um you know after your stay in Cleveland um you how long did you stay in Cleveland at the hospital uh in the hospital I was there March April May 
May, June, mid-June, I suppose, uh, and then transferred to Akron Children's Hospital to be an inpatient rehab, and that was for another two months there, um, and, and some pretty big surgeries happened there where they actually took a whole section of my upper thigh and transplanted that onto my left foot. It's kind of weird. I have hair on the bottom of my foot because it's for my leg now. Um, and, but that was key because that made it so I didn't have to become a double amputee, which was kind of seemed inevitable. Um, so having that ankle is core for my surfing because I'm regular footed. So I have an ankle on the front part of the board so I can control turns and a lot of things. So I'm quite grateful for that. Um, and I then got out of outpatient, inpatient rehab, started doing outpatient rehab all the way until um, probably January, February, 20, 2021. And back to the Cleveland clinic for the closure finally of that open wound that I've had on the side for many months. <laughs> and not too many complications with that. And as soon as I got off my antibiotic course for that, I was like, okay, I'm going home and flew right back to Hawaii, uh, March 2nd or March 4th. So right after my birthday, I'm now 24 years old. So it's been kind of like a year and a half process. Okay. So then when did you get COVID? Oh, I got COVID. Uh, that was right when I was dismissed from inpatient rehab at Akron Children's like the day of. So I, as soon as I left, like finally having to sleep in a hospital on that day, uh, I unfortunately contracted COVID. <laughs> Luckily, I think because everybody that was around me, we were practicing really safe, like mask protocols and everything because COVID was a serious threat with, you know, one lung um, that I received a much smaller viral load when I did inevitably get it on that day. Uh, so my symptoms were super minor for me. Um, so in a way, I kind of looked at it as a blessing. Uh, we didn't have this huge threat looming over like, this pandemic that could kill me after everything I've been through. I'm super weak at this point. I went from 175 pounds to 106. Um, so I'm a small guy, not a strong immune system at this point, very weak. And yeah, that kind of gave me, I guess, a natural immunity until we could wait out for the vaccine. So when you, when you got COVID, did you experience, I know you said it was mild, but what, what were you feeling? And um, how did you find out that you got it? Uh, flu-like symptoms. Um, I guess what the flu should have been. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing, uh, you know, fatigue, pretty feeling crummy for two weeks. Um, I, I was going in to get that surgery on the left foot. Um, and uh, one of my friends that was the one that came to like help us out, um, they gave it to me, he said that he had contracted COVID or his, his sister did and inevitably passed to him in that perfect incubation period when I, they all came out to visit me. Like every, all of my close core friends came out to celebrate that I'm finally out. Then <laughs> that was thrown on top, but uh, yeah. And then I was diagnosed at the hospital before my surgery stuff. So we just had to postpone it for a few weeks and life went on. Yeah. Right on. Um, and then you overcame COVID Luckily, you just had mild symptoms, came back home to Hawaii, and is that when you jumped into the process of rehab or, you know, learning how to surf again? Or what, what was it like just getting readjusted 
Yeah, awesome. first it, it was learning a little bit more independence because uh, I knew my dad was going to be here for a month to help me move back in and just, and I live with my brother here and in my apartment. So I have his assistance. Um, but yeah, it wasn't focused on surfing. I knew it was going to take a long time for me to really get back in the water. Uh, but I wanted to look for a good rehab clinic. So I ended up going to moon physical therapy uh, right off of ward um, and trying to figure out how to like uh, drive again. Uh, Cause I had my car just sitting here. So how do I drive when I can't feel the gas pedal? Uh, that was a learning experience, but it's not too bad. Actually, you just use two feet like a race car driver. Um, cause I have my ankle for the brake, So I have a lot of control. Uh, and then the gas, I just have to use my hip because I don't have an ankle to actuate the gas pedal. I have to use the hip and engage forward and back. So it takes a little bit more energy, but, uh, it's been pretty seamless. I drive just as well as I did before. So uh, those are kind of the core things I wanted to focus on as soon as I came back and then I could get back to the sport I love once I knew how to breathe again. Yeah. And it's been really amazing watching your vlogs, um, you know, you documenting uh, your progress and um, your brother, is he your older brother? He is. He is my older brother uh, physically, uh, but mentally my younger brother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I hope he's not listening. I think he's probably over there. He's <laughs> right over there. Oops. <laughs> and and you have a sister. I I do. And yeah, she's back in Ohio. Oh, okay. So it's just you three. she's older too. She's 28. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, okay. So the three of you guys. Um, and your brother helps you with this vlog. Yeah, so he I got him to move out with me as soon as I came back from Bali. Um, so I've been here at that point for four and a half years. And uh, I was like, you know, this might be really good for you. Uh, so we ended up deciding to come, moves on out. And he uh, didn't like surfing that much. So I was like, you know, you should really get into surf photography, bro. Because <laughs> every surfer loves to have photos taken of themselves. <laughs> And I figured it'd be fun for us to go out together. So yeah, he uh, ends up getting like a, a little camera uh, that can work underwater, a little dome. And that uncle I was talking about earlier uh, from Kailua is actually like a pretty famous uh, surf photographer um, for kite surfing. Uh, Stephen Whitesell, I suppose. <laughs> Josh share his name uh, if you want to check out his photos. Um, so he can kind of give advice to Chase and everything. So he ended up picking up that up as a hobby and you know that just coincides perfect for when I returned and I was in the ICU thinking is there any story of this person around my age that has been through this medical trauma that recovered and like was able to do something like competitive almost um and it didn't really exist you know there's some books that talk about it or some people's stories but <laughs> there was no story of somebody that started from when they didn't know if it was possible. And that's what I, I wanted to find. But since I couldn't find it, I figured I'd just try to make it myself. So that's basically what the vlog covers. It's me not knowing if I'll even be able to stand on a surfboard because the first episode, I just came off supplemental oxygen 24 seven. Can't really bring an oxygen tank in the ocean uh, and people, well, I guess if we're not talking scuba, not for what I needed it for. Um, 
and yeah i just i i couldn't i i i wasn't i guess the best the doctors is what i'm trying to say didn't know that my if my lung could heal because there's no data i mean a lot of people haven't been through what i have so it was possible i'd be on oxygen for the rest of my life but i wanted to start the vlog from that knowing that like i don't know if it's even possible so i still don't but i think we're getting closer you know the probabilities are kind of starting to come in our favor here so yeah it's so cool i mean i'm, I'm like getting all excited watching you and um you know access surf those guys are really helpful and so uh, key yeah yeah, yeah um it's been it's you know like do you see it kind of like as as an adventure i mean this is this new thing where yes yes yeah, yeah. Totally. no i love it i mean it's 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 really motivating for me to know that I have to put out an episode every two weeks like I've been so I have to go out and I have to keep working on myself so it, it's almost like a self-accountability type of thing where it's keeping me in the direction I want to go to achieve my goals um, and it's a creatively fun to edit and you know kind of put together these little stories of like my life around here and what things are like for me so yeah I've had a lot of fun with it it's it can be tricky sometimes especially when I'm like having bad weeks where like I just sometimes don't have energy. That's something we're working on right now. And I have trouble eating, so I'm not getting enough calories in, even though I need like 3,500 a day, probably for maintenance. So uh, on those days it can be tough, but I just try to think of the, the short term, I guess, in those days, I never really look at the long term. It's too far away. So, so wait, why do you have trouble eating? What is that? We're trying to figure that out ever since the ICU. Uh, after I eat, it feels like I've eaten a huge meal, even if it's something very small. And it feels that way for upwards of five, six, seven hours. So basically, I feel like I'm always full, even though I could go like two days without eating. So I'm just like not getting that signal. It's possible like something realigned with my brain when I was on a feeding tube for that long or what have you. Uh, I thought it might be gastroparesis for a while where it just stays in the stomach and the muscles aren't moving it to the duodenum and jejunum, the next steps in the digestive system. It just stays in the stomach. So it's, I always feel full because it, I have just eaten, even if it's been hours later, but I got that tested and it came out negative. So, you know, lots of little weird things that you wouldn't think of were affected me because of uh, the sepsis and all the crazy medical treatments. So lots of small things to work out, but day by day. Yeah. And then, and how did you improve your um, lung, I guess, ability to not be, I mean, or get in mm. more oxygen or how did you yeah. work on that? And I know you're saying that you're still working on that, but you've come a long way. Yeah, totally. So that's a lot of the rehabilitation, uh, working on my breathing techniques. Um, I can't hold my breath that long, probably around 30 seconds now, um, which I guess is okay with one lung, but not great when you're in a hold down at like Waimea. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that'll improve, but it's really the same thing that you or I would do, uh, just cardio. Uh, one of my favorite training techniques that we've been doing at physical therapy is I take my shortboard and I put it into their water pool and it shoots a current at me. Uh, that's numbered speed. So like at 
speed 11, uh, whatever that is, it's a strong current. And I just paddle against that. And when I began, it was probably 45 seconds. It was about the best I could do and do that maybe three times on a really good day. Um, and just last week, now I'm averaging 130 uh, each time. And uh, my recovery is way faster. Like back in March, it was my oxygen gets so low, like to 88%, 87% when I really push myself, my blood oxygen levels. And that causes a lot of anxiety and panicky because I feel like I'm drowning, even though I'm taking in air. So obviously that's not a great feeling, especially when I'm out like practicing in Alamo magic Island channel. And if I fall off my board right now, I'm toast. So those things are scary and hard to overcome, but, um, I think just, I got to keep doing it. It's only been relatively a little less than a year since I started gaining my health back. So, I mean, these things take a long time. So maybe two, three years, maybe I'll be, you know, uh, hopefully on the Hawaiian adaptive surf team. That's the goal. Oh man, that would be so awesome. Um, you know, it's kind of a unique situation because, um, you know, you're, you're learning how to do things again. Um, but at the same time, you also, you're young, so you can be capable of overcoming what some might call your limits, you know? And so, hmm, what am I trying to ask now? (laughs) I'm getting so into this problem just a little bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I I guess, um, how do you know, um, or do you have an awareness of how far to go? Or, I mean, you here you are, you're, you have this vision of what you want to accomplish, right? But yet you also don't want to, like you said, you know, like feel like you're drowning, you know, yeah. and be, you know, understand, you know, what your physical abilities are right now, just right now. So like, I mean, how do you... I don't know if you can kind of understand what I'm trying to ask. I, I see what you're saying. So like, for example, in my most recent episode, I was out paddling at the Magic Island Channel solo. Uh, and, you know, all I'm dealing with there is with some wind and currents. But I felt weird that day and my heart rate was averaging around 160 and not going down. I'm tachycardic now. So my heart rate's always above 100, which means it's like always working, which is why I need more calories in that sense, too. So exponential issues uh but i was panicky and i just it didn't feel right so i just i just came in and i was proud of myself for driving to alamoana getting my surfboard going out there even though i was out there for eight minutes maybe and back in and that is still somewhat of a gain you just have to chip away a little bit every time and as long as you're doing something it's an upward trend and that can be exponential over time. So, uh, I think that's the only thing you got to really look at. Yeah. I mean, but so you don't know anybody in your state, but I mean, have the doctor said, Hey, you know, this is, I mean, what you got is, you know, your youth. So, I mean, you Mm -hmm. could do, have they had that conversation? Like you could do, you could train and, and get yourself in shape now. Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> I, I wish doctors would ever reveal that type of information, but that is not how they oh, operate. Really? 
you know they operate <laughs> on a case by case like they are good right now let's just see what happens because they don't want to instill false hope and i get that um but for me so i had to look elsewhere for references and uh there's tons of people with one lung and there's tons of people with one leg uh but there's not that many that have both but i really you know look at the one lung as my major disability so i look into there's some athletes that perform with one lung. I mean, the Pope, for instance, has only one lung and he's walking around doing things around the world. So if I can reach, you know, just that baseline, that'd be awesome. Uh, and then on the really far end, uh, there's a guy in one of my Facebook, Facebook groups, uh, one lung people unite, uh, Sean channel scannel, I believe his name is. Um, and he has summited every single like tallest peak in each continent. Uh, so that's like Everest, Kilimanjaro, um, and that is with one lung. So, you know, How old is he? he is in his thirties, maybe, I guess, maybe forties, early forties. Um, so, you know, if he can achieve that like maximum, I mean, like he's training with like freaking Jeeps tied to the back of his back and running. So like not so training, uh, but, you know, I guess if that's achievable for him, I'm sure I could probably get at least 50% of that. And if that is the case, that'll be enough for me for my surfing goals. And that's all I care about, being able to walk around again, talk, uh, and surf. If I can do those things, I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. So I read that you want to um, compete in the Paralympics. Is that still your goal? Yeah, that's, that's on the, that's totally an option. Um, you know, it's tricky, but, uh, you know, since the Olympics were just accepted surfing, uh, the ISA is the one that proposes that for the Olympics and they also control all the competitive Paralympic events. So it usually follows naturally that maybe 2024, 2028, uh, it'd be a Paralympic event. And, you know, if I'm competing on this local level here with the Hawaiian adaptive surf team, potentially, uh, there's no reason that couldn't be on the table, I suppose. Okay, so um, talking about your um, progress with surfing, um, is the goal to stand up? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I'd like to be on a shortboard again. I mean, it doesn't have to be like the five, six potato chip I was on. It could be like a six, five, something, and just being able to do fun turns on something like that would make me a very happy guy. <laughs> right on. Um, and, you know, this definitely has, has, without saying, of course, it's changed your life, but how has your outlook on life changed from, say, back in the days when you were working at the Kaneohe Marine Corps base, um, you know, doing the cybersecurity job that you had, and, and how has it changed, and what, what it, what's the difference now? Um, like, back then, you were thinking about what? Yeah making money. I don't know. <laughs> no, rich no, or, honestly, okay, okay. I'm, I'm literally the same guy. Uh, my goals have always obviously altered and reoriented. I've had to change how I perceive what I'm happy with. Uh, just because I can't do as much. I can't go on like a fun, weird hike, just randomly with my friends or things like that. So I have to find happiness in the smaller things I can do right now. But you know, I was planning on like moving to Bali at some point and just surfing and being a bum. So like, I never really cared too much about making exorbitant amounts of money. I just, enough for a family, 
which is insane in Hawaii. So I'll have to figure that out, but, uh, you know, just make enough to be happy, but you don't have to go crazy. So yeah, I'm kind of the same guy. So there was no, there was no like epiphany or like, I know you want one, but not that I want one, but I mean, I'm just like, really, I mean, I appreciate I, my life a lot more than I did before. I guess that's the biggest change. Cause I mean, I know how close I was to death. Uh, I know, I think the big one actually, if I think about it is when I was on a lot of supplemental oxygen, maybe like five liters, um, it took me 45 minutes to crawl up the stairs on my hands and knees. And uh, my oxygen, even with the supplemental would go so low, like to the seventies, upper seventies, that my muscles would start failing. And like, that was like drowning on, on air. And I'm like having supplemental oxygen. It's like what somebody with severe COPD would probably be going through. And being there and then already being where I am now is like an 8,000% increase. So knowing that that could have been my life for the rest of my life puts a lot of perspective on like, we stress about things too much, you know, like just chill. <laughs> okay. I think I missed it, but why were you climbing up the stairs for 45 minutes? Uh, just to go up to my bedroom. Uh, I like, like I just in a house, like crawling up my carpeted stairs. So I could go to sleep in a bed instead of a couch. And it took that long because it's, it's just that hard. Like every step was like a summit and I'm not even like walking, I'm crawling. <laughs> so. And during that time, during that time, you weren't getting frustrated. You're just like, okay, it's going to take me this long. I don't think I could even think at that time. Uh, your brain kind of goes into just panic and it's more just like, get to the top so I can chill. And that was kind of the only thing I was thinking about because I'm, I'm breathing heavily. I'm just like, it's like when you're in a flow state, except it's a terrible one. Um, are you religious? What, when you think about, you know, how, you know, some people could call you a miracle. Some people could say, you know, wow, you, you got your lung removed and you got your leg amputated. Then you got COVID. And, you know, you got all these things that happen to you, right? So do you ever think about what allowed you to do that? Who, I mean, what, why do you think that you survived? It's tricky for me um, to think on like a very religious level. I've never been, I've been more of an agnostic type of person but I totally believe in like positive energy and sending that good energy towards people. So I think that there was a lot of people, a lot of people. I mean, my caring bridge page had over a hundred thousand unique visitors and a lot of those individuals were praying for me. And I think just that thought and that action of them putting that energy out into the world uh, is probably pretty core into why I survived. Um, some of it, it, I believe is just chance, but I believe that I need to take that, what luck I've been given and translate that into ways that I can help other people. So aside from learning to surf again, do you have any 
other aspirations, maybe career-wise or personal? Uh, you know, probably just, you know, family and, you know, be happy. It's focus on, I like making music, so stuff like that. Uh, but I guess, you know, my, my main focus is with the surfing because it's such a clear-cut physical goal for me. And that gives me a lot of happiness just working and chipping away at that goal itself. So uh, it'll translate to a different aspiration in a year or two. And that's just how it goes. You just got to, when you feel like you need to focus on something else, you got to take it. I mean, that's life telling you this is what you need to work on. And that will make you happy. If you, if you work on your goals, you get happiness. It's, it's a pretty simple equation, actually. Um, and then uh, since this has happened to you, and I know that you've shared your story um, nationally, it's been on People uh, Magazine um, and websites, various websites, um, have other people in a similar situation contacted you for, you know, words of advice or maybe, hey, I'm going through this too, like, you know, what was that like? Or Yep, uh, that's, I mean, one of the main reasons why. I make the vlog um, so I could reach out to those same people that were going through what I was in the ICU, kind of give them hope or encouragement. So through Instagram and my YouTube comments, people have reached out, you know, sharing their disability stories and how this makes them happy and like gives them encouragement to, you know, go out and try some little adventure, like uh, a fun one I did in my video, uh, my YouTube channel just about a month ago was, I went to um, camp out at Mokuleia by myself. Um, so I had all the gear and I had to cart it through the sand and get to a location and make myself a little meal. Um, I wanted to fish, but that was a bit too much effort. <laughs> uh, and then return. And I mean, just walking from the beach path to uh, my campsite with all the gear took 45 minutes going in. And that burned almost all my energy. So it was kind of a little disaster, but um, people reached out to me from that video just saying uh, it gave them hope and encouraged them to go do some small challenge in their own lives. And it doesn't have to be that, you know, mm -hmm. maybe walking to a store. I mean, even that for me, like if I walked in my car from my apartment, that's totally like a full on workout. So I mostly just wheelchair. Sometimes laziness hits me. I'm lazy too. <laughs> So the surfing now, what what big accomplishment just happened um, that you just documented in your vlog, and um, how did that feel? Uh, I say, yeah, the, probably the big one was that I two weeks ago I caught my first wave. Uh, I went out with Axis Surf on a nice big fat red longboard, kind of near rock piles in Alamoana, and um, I could only be out there for like forty minutes because the breath is still such an issue. But while I was out there finally paddling into position I had to rest and then a monster set came it was like it was like a uh probably you know two foot Hawaiian that day which is not something I should be out in like when I'm trying to get back on my feet uh so I had to take it in or I could risk falling off my board and you know be in a bad place there's people there to save me but didn't want that so I ended up paddling and I, I ride the wave in and you can see my smile on my face I'm just on my belly but like I'm not turning at all in the wave because I'm like already so out of oxygen from getting into position and then all of a sudden this wave came and just had to knock me in so like 
I was like, don't fall off. So that was my big priority, but it was so awesome just to be cruising on a wave again. Um, and we always like to end our podcast with uh, an inspirational quote and uh, hoping that you have one to share with everybody today. Yeah, I guess uh, one that I, I read when I was in the hospital mm-hmm. that kind of gave me encouragement was a Bruce Lee quote that was, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. What do, what do you, what's the takeaway from that? Uh, just, it totally resonated with the mental strength that I had through the hospital and, you know, being able to come out of this and still just be positive and happy after what happened. I mean, I feel like I could have very easily been just knocked on my butt and hate life and be like, I used to be so athletic. I could do all these things. Now I can't even walk to my car, but I, I don't somehow feel that way. I just, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm ready for the next challenge. So I guess I have some of that strength to endure a difficult one. And I think a lot of us do. It's just, it's inside us and we got to unlock that. Are you an alien? <laughs> no, I'm not an alien. <laughs> Please don't blow my cover. <laughs> I, mean, I think that is just what is so fascinating is that no matter, no matter how hard I'm trying to like find out, like, you know, what is the secret? I mean, why, how do you I know? I, w- I wish I could I just mean, give this mantra. but if you take everything that i said i I guess it has it has to just be looking at your own goals whatever they are in life and working towards them and you just you glean satisfaction from that so i I guess i i'm lucky to maybe figure that out early and you are you you really are you really are really lucky to to kind of tune out noise there probably isn't any noise because you seem like you're very you know I'm what still you human want, yeah. don't worry I have <laughs> bad days but uh I just try not to let them ruin my following day you know nice nice that's awesome that's awesome um I think you should write a book about how to how to uh perpetuate <laughs> and and know how to be like that but I'll let you know, you know when I figure it out <laughs> there you go your musical skills um what you play you play the guitar or what what is this uh no so you sing i do no so i have the mic uh just for production stuff if like there's another singer i i'm terrible at singing so thankfully that was not taken away from me with losing a lung uh because it was never there to begin with but uh i've played keyboard and piano for a long long time uh and i just started learning bass guitar um so i just make fun songs for myself it's really it's just a hobby not a it's not good (laughs) but it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, Carter, but you know, you know, brothers. it was so awesome talking to you and getting to know you. And um, I just feel like there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but I, I'm, I'm very in awe um, and fascinated and, and I'm, I'm really happy, you know, happy for you and happy for this exciting adventure. And um, I think a lot of folks that are listening right now too, um, can't wait to see, you know, uh, your, your journey and, and, and where you're headed. And um, of course, surfing again, surfing. Um, it, it's cool that you, you have a lot of support, I think, you know, around you. Yeah. And- I mean, that's a big part too. I mean, just having a good friend group and family saved my butt multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and I know that you have your YouTube channel so people can just search for Carter Perry. Yep. Um, what, what's the name of your vlog again? Uh, just trying not to drown. Yes. 
Uh, so you can just search Carter Perry, P-A-R-R-Y, and it'll pop up there. Same thing on Instagram. And uh, yeah, right. easy to find. Where else? Are you anywhere else? Those are my most prominent, I'd say. Uh, and you can find tons of links to all of the other podcasts uh, and articles if you want some more information. Uh, there's a good article by the Cleveland Clinic if you're interested in more of the uh, medical background about what happened. If I didn't go into enough boring details about that already. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for um sharing your story with us tonight it was really really eye-opening very inspirational and um i'm amazed i'm gonna keep following you <laughs> and see <laughs> what uh, else i can learn uh during your journey but thanks so much again for joining us carter That's... thanks stephanie it was a pleasure take care and uh i'll be watching you <laughs> Yes, we're gonna break up and die.